But turn with me this morning to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. This is the text that God has given to the great shepherd of Southern California Teen Challenge, Executive Director Ron Brown. And uh, I wouldn't pick a different text other than the one that he has heard from God for Teen Challenge. When you're there, say amen. amen. I still hear a few pages turning. Verses 18 and 19. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and putting streams in the wasteland. Merciful God, I thank you today for waking us and starting us on our way. Thank you for the goodness that you have demonstrated and displayed upon us and in us and through us. Thank you for the great leadership of Southern California Teen Challenge. Thank you for the supporting members, the directors and staff that support the vision that you have given Director Brown. Thank you for the commitment and the faithfulness that they all have demonstrated to your purpose of restoring lives. Thank you that they have committed to serve students all around Southern California. And I pray that you will continue to bless each and every one of their lives and through them you will bless the lives of those being restored. Now I pray now as we are all gathered this morning or today rather God that you will bless our moments together with the presence of your Holy Spirit. We know when blessings go up, praise and when praises go up, blessings come down. You have allowed us to praise you already. And some of us has already been touched by you just in the midst of praise. But I ask now for the presence of your Holy Spirit to dwell within each of us. So that we are now touched by your word that will transform us, God. So I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will have his way in the midst of us and that we will hear your word and not my word, that it will be your intentions and not mine. And we thank you in advance for it right now in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And if you're in agreement with that, say amen. amen. Let me publicly thank Director Brown for the fantastic and uh, monumental work that you have done since you since God ordained you to be the executive director of Southern California Teen Challenge. I was on the executive presbytery when we were presented with the nomination of executor director Brown and instantly God quickened in my spirit that there was no better choice than executive director Brown to take the helm and to lead teen challenge into the 21st century. 
He has done some fantastic, some dramatic, some powerful works of God. You know, we build on the shoulders of others. And Executive Director Brown has taken what the others built and has developed it, increased it, and moved it into the 21st century. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And I ask that you pray for him constantly because I know he faces challenges. And uh, he needs your, your covenant prayers. This text this morning or today that we're looking at is a powerful text. And as much as I tried to come up with a different text, the Lord wouldn't let me come up with one, Brother Brown. And so I said, well, if God gave it to you, then it must be all right. But I have been given a task this morning, and my task is to present to you what this text is saying. And so in kind of an academic term, I just want to say I'm going to provide for you this morning an exegetical hermeneutic that is based and supported by what we call in theology sits in Laban. Exegetical, I'm going to extract out of the text what's in the text. I'm not going to insert anything in the text. I'm going to take out of the text only what's in the text. Hermeneutical, I'm going to then interpret it so that you will understand it. And then the sits in the band is where the really trouble is going to be for you. Because that means I need to take your life setting to make it applicable. I know it's going to step on some toes. That's why you got quiet already. Because <laughs> I'm one of you. And I know what we go through. You know, it was almost 32 years ago for me. How many of y'all are 30 or under? <laughs> when I came through you weren't even born <laughs> but yet and still I know what it is to be a 2nd Corinthians 5 17 kid therefore anyone who's in Christ is a new creation old things have passed away all things become new so that, that third part, taking the life situation that you're in, I can say it from firsthand experience. Amen. It won't be secondhand experience. It won't be something I read in a book. It would be something I lived walking it out in the day. So as I, as I share with you about that, that will be something that you can take for sure that uh, uh, I know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's, it has nothing to do with gender. Sin doesn't care what gender you are. So I can tell you what the sisters is going through the same way what the brothers is going through. And ain't no swissy swishy on me. I'm just telling you, sin doesn't care. Wickedness doesn't care. So. In saying that, there are about three different issues that are inside of this text that I want us to look at for this time that we have together, and we have 21 minutes left. This group of people that God is talking to here 
was his people that he had called to be his people in earth. They had violated what God had established for them multiple times, and now they find themselves in captivity. God is sending one of his voices, multiple prophets, but this one is Isaiah, who is now talking to them as they are foreseeing that they're going to be released out of captivity, but yet still in captivity. And God is speaking to them through Isaiah to tell them what they can expect. And when you get to this 43rd chapter, and really about to the 39th chapter, God begins to change from what he had been telling them up to that chapter. And what he begins to tell them in this chapter was profound. And for you and I, it's going to be profound also. But we need to extract it out so that we can then see it correctly. Now, here's what he says. He says, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. Now, what were the former things that he was telling them that they needed not to dwell on and to forget? Well, most of it was, and, and let me say, let me just say it like this. They were trying to think they knew God. Anybody been there? They were trying to think that they could figure God out. They were trying to think that they could know what God was going to do next. How many of y'all tried to do that one? And his ways are clearly higher than our ways and different than our ways. But nevertheless, we still try to do it, don't we? And so for them, they were already thinking we're held captive and God's going to free us up. And here's the way he's going to do it. And here's why he's going to do it. Many of you have already started trying to think through what and how and why God is trying to do something with you. And what Isaiah is saying as God leads him is to tell them that they need to forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. Now, not just dwelling on the past doesn't mean that you just need to uh, forget what you used to do. That happened when you, when you con confessed your sins and you asked God to come into your heart. You need to change the way that you view the world. Are you following me? See, you need to change how you see life. The way that you used to see life may have been successful for you then. It will not be successful for you now. So some of those things that you need to do is to forget the former way that I saw the world, my world view. Now, 
Some of you, if not all of you, need to also not dwell on the past. Don't talk about the good times you had when you was in sin. And reject the bad times you had when you was in sin. I don't want to know that you had a Rolls Royce. I could care less. It ended you up in the same place. I don't care that you was the biggest dope dealer on this in the city. It ended you up in the same place. I don't care you were the toughest hog in the yard. It ended you up in the same place. I don't care that you had went and educated yourself at Harvard or Stanford or USC or UCLA. You ended up in the same place. So you've got to change your whole world view. Now, let me say this also. That in changing your whole world view, you've got to take on the view of God. God's view now has to become your view. The way that God sees the world, you have to now see the world. The way that God sees you, you now have to see you. Are you following me? You have to now take on a God sight so that you see yourself the way God sees you. That you see your surroundings the way God sees your surroundings. You see this world the way God sees this world. And he was trying to prepare them for what God was going to take them to as he then frees them from their captivity. And for all of you in the room that are students, you are in the same position. Captivity still has a grip on you. Doesn't make a difference if you've been in induction for a day or if you had TCMI. So you got to forget those former things. And can I just toss something in before I was going to get to it anyway? God sees you and the world in one way. And you need to see it that way. But here's something that you need to get rid of very quickly. Your greatest enemy is not the devil. Your greatest enemy is you. Your neighbor is not your greatest enemy, no matter how much they may make you angry. 
or how much they may frustrate you. Your roommate is not your greatest enemy. Your counselor is not your greatest enemy. The greatest enemy that you have is you. And your greatest part of you that you must change is your mind. How you think. How these neurons, how do these photons and all of the things inside of your neurological system, how they begin to shift and change, you've got to bring a change to them. Don't blame it on the devil when you curse somebody out. Don't blame it on the devil when you don't want to do what somebody's asked you to do. Don't blame it on the devil when you backslide. It's you. Oh, y'all act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Just look to the neighbor on your left and say, it ain't you, man, it's me. It ain't you, sister, it's me. Because if you don't change the way that you think, if you don't change the way that you think, you headed down the wrong direction already. So he tells him, he says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. And then he says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now, that's what you have to get a hold of. God is doing a new thing with you. He was going to do a new thing with them. And then when they got freed, they had to experience this new thing. When you complete the program, you've got to experience this new thing. Oh, it's simple and easy to do the new thing when you've got structure around you. you got a staff or an intern that's watching you. You know how to say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Yeah. But can you say it otherwise? But he says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now, there's an understanding that you've got, to, you've got to grab right there is the new thing that's happening is being done by God, not by you. You participate in it. You're a co-laborer with God in it. But the new thing that is happening with you is being done by God. Now, if God be for you, who can be against you? Uh, I can do all things through him who gives me the strength. Uh, Are you following the, the line that I'm trying to take you on? So he says, now see that I'm doing a new thing. They were all right with him freeing them, but they didn't know what was going to be happening afterwards. So he's warning them and preparing them that, yes, I'm going to free you, but it's going to be different than you've ever experienced before. And I got different expectations from you than what I had before. And God is going to have different expectations from you than what you think God has for you. Why y'all get quiet on that one? Why you didn't say praise the Lord on that one? 
Why do you jump out your seat and say hallelujah on that one? <laughs> but he's doing a new thing. We sing we're a new creation, but God is really doing a new thing. You know, when I went back to my neighborhood, I had buddies that we had been crooks and thugs for, for 25 years, almost 30 years together. And they knew me. And I remember one came up to me and said, man, he said, look, all these other people talking about they know you. They just knew of you, but I know you. We, we know what we did. He said, I've been watching you. And he said, I wish that you would. I was waiting on you to come and tell me what the real hustle was because I knew you wasn't doing this God stuff. <laughs> he said, but I've watched you for the last two years. He said, and I realize that this God stuff that you're talking about is real. You see, I knew that God was doing something in me. I then began to see the world the way that God saw the world. I saw myself the way that God saw myself. So I could stand back in the neighborhood and wasn't nothing going to impact me. But let me say, you don't try it if you don't know. Amen. You'll end up like the seven sons of Sceva. You'll run up on something that you're not qualified to handle. So he's saying, I'm doing a new thing. And can I submit to you in my last seven minutes and 25 seconds that you allow God to do a new thing in you? Quit trying to make it work for yourself and let God make it work in you. Because it's he that's in you that gives you the strength, not you that's in him. Are you following me? Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> and he's doing a fantastic job at TCMI. No, he really is. He really is. I didn't say it just because he came up, but I'm saying that because it's the truth. So then he says, see, I'm doing a new thing. He says, now it springs up. Some of y'all wanted it to spring up yesterday, but there's a process and you've got to go through your process. Don't get anxious. Don't get over, over impatient. Allow the process to take its course. And, and, and can I say the process will extend out for the rest of your life? Yes. Don't think that because you do 12 months in Teen Challenge and because you do an internship and because you go back home talking about I'm a new creation that the process has stopped. The process continues because you have to be made new every day. So now here's, what, here's, here's, where, here's where you get in the way. He says, do you not perceive it? This is where your mind plays tricks on you and gets you in trouble. Because you don't see it. You don't see it. Now, you don't have to show no hands. But I can just about say that 85 to 90 percent of you in this room that have walked through a door of teen challenge question whether or not this is going to work. Some of you have been sitting here six months still wondering, is this ever going to work? 
Some of you been here nine months and you're saying, man, I'm trying my best. Is it going to work? I know y'all quiet because you don't want your staff to see you. <laughs> you don't want the directors to see you <laughs> and get you back at the center and pull you in for counseling. But the, the, fact, the fact is, if you don't see it working, it's not going to work. God is telling them through the prophet Isaiah right there, he says, look, I'm doing a new thing and it's springing up. Don't you see it? Can't you see it? And the problem that we have is we have a distorted vision in our minds. And a lot of it is based upon, I may not know what you're thinking, but you know what you're thinking. So you know if you thought about, well, let me go and sock that dude in his mouth because I didn't like the way he said something to me. So this might not be working. Yeah. Oh, uh, she said one more time to me. I'm going to show her what I'm like. So then you think this might not be working. But I can tell you, if you believe it, it's working. If you can transform your mind to accept and let God do what God is doing, it's working. Director Brown, it was working in my life, and I believed it was working, and I could see it working. It didn't make me not make a mistake. But when I made the mistake, I didn't think that it wasn't working. I knew it was working, but I made a mistake. Are y'all with me? I came in the teen challenge of black militant, black racist. So I'm saved and gave my life to the Lord, got baptized with the Holy Spirit, evidence of speaking in tongues, and, and I'm waiting to find a facility that they could send me to out of the state. And so I'm still hanging around Shafter. And there was a young kid that came in the program, amen for Shafter. A young... <laughs> and a young man came in the program, 19-year-old kid. And the kid was just acting like a kid playing one day. And I told the kid, stop. The kid didn't stop. I said, look, man, I'm not playing with you. Now stop. And he didn't stop. So I snapped. I called him every racial thing I could think of, and I had a pointed shovel, and I tried to hit him with it. He took off running, and I took off running with him. Picture this now. A 30-some-year-old black dude chasing a 19-year-old white kid around a Christian program with a shovel. By the time he made it to where Reuben and them was living at at the time, he was running up the back stairs. That's when the reality of what I did hit me. I didn't think that God wasn't working. I just realized I made a mistake. 
And thank God they gave me a break. I never caught the kid. He was too fast for me. <laughs> but do you see it? Do you, can you see that God is doing a new thing with you? Irrespective if nobody else sees it. Do you see it? And Isaiah is trying to tell the people that you need to see what God is doing. And if you see what God is doing, no matter what occurs, you're going to stay going with God. Now, here's the good part that y'all really like. I am making a way. Anybody need God to make a way for him today? Amen. You're being honest and transparent and open. We all need God to make a way for us. I ask him every day to make a way for me. And he does. He's faithful. When he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, he's faithful. And he'll make a way for you every day. And here's what he's saying. I am making a way. Now, where is he making a way for them? He's making a way for them in their captivity. They're being held by the Babylonians. They're being held by all others. And they're still held slaves and captives while serving God. But he says, I'm going to make a way for you. And some of you need to know, if not all of us need to know, that no matter what happens to us, if we're with God, God is still going to make a way for us. You may not see the way, you may not be experiencing the way at the moment, but God says, I will make a way. Because he says, I'm doing a new thing and now it's starting to spring up. But he says, do you see it though? And then he says, I am making a way. Not that God might make a way. See, this is where your impatience will get in you in trouble. You've put a time limit on when God better make a way. And God is saying, I'll make a way when I get ready to. You just need to be there and ready when I make the way. And you'll be saying, well, God is too rough. And he'll say, just wait till I get there. Well, God, I can't handle it. He said, yes, you can just wait till I get there. Well, it's uncomfortable. Just wait till I get there. It's overwhelming. Just wait till I get there. It's almost crushing me. Just wait till I get there. I may can't take it another day. Just wait till I get there. And it's okay if you tell God, God, I, I, I don't know if I can make it today. And he'll say, just wait till I get there. Jesus was on the cross. Jesus was headed to the cross to die for you and I and he looked at what the cross was going to do to him and he said wait a minute I don't want to do this but then he said but nevertheless thy will not my will be done see he's making a way you may not like it today but he's making a way you may not like him today but he's making a way you may hate her today, but he's making a way. 
You may be struggling with it, but it's making a way. Because he's doing a new thing. And he's making a way in the desert. I had so many desert experiences when I was in Teen Challenge. I've had many desert experiences in life after Teen Challenge. Desert experiences are life. They come up and they come down. In 2008, I had a daughter call us and tell us she was locked up in jail. Then she called us a couple of months later and said, well, I might as well tell you now I'm getting ready to have a baby. These are desert experiences. These are upside down moments. And then in July, the July the 15th, 2008, we get a call from the women's prison. Metropolitan Detention Center, downtown L.A., the federal prison. And they say, you got a grandchild that was born by your daughter today. And if you don't, if somebody don't pick this baby up, we're putting her in the system. Me and my wife, 50-something years old. <laughs> it felt like a desert. But he made a way. <laughs> she graduates elementary school in two weeks. God makes a way. Now, what do you think God can't make a way for? What are you going through that God can't make a way for? What has overwhelmed you that you say God can't make a way out of this? I just might as well leave. This stuff don't work no way. I might as well go somewhere else. They want me to pray. That stuff don't work. The Holy Spirit, I can't see that. But it makes a way. It makes a way in the desert. And then watch this. He says, not only do I make a way in the desert, I put streams in the wasteland, which meant he was going to refresh you. See, for them, they understood that completely because they had had the Exodus experience. Their foreparents had told them about it, where God brought them out of captivity from Egypt and walked them through the whole experience, took them through the Red Sea. To where he parted it so they could walk through on dry and he made a way. Got them into the desert where many were complaining and murmuring. But then when they needed something to eat, he gave them manna. When they needed water, he touched a rock. See, God will make a way. And then he'll provide those refreshing streams that you and I need. So that in those moments when the desert seems to overwhelm us. He gives us a refreshing in the desert that then makes us find rejuvenation, makes us find more courage, makes us find more determination, makes us find more hope, makes us find more anything we need to get us through. Some of y'all need a new stream because you need to be refreshed. But that's what he says. He says, 
I will, I'm making a way in the desert and I'm creating streams in the wasteland. Now I've got to, I've got to end, but I want to just read the next verse because I want you to make sure that you take this in the right context. The wild animals, animals honor me. Now, how many dogs is sitting beside you? And they're not human dogs. So don't. <laughs> hey, hey, in, 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 teach, in, in teaching preachers, you tell them, know your audience. <laughs> so I know y'all. <laughs> y'all start looking at each other and say, oh, she's a dog, he's a dog. <laughs> But here's, here's the point that they're making. Here's the point that he's making, and here's the point that I want you to understand. The dumb brute, the dumb animal that has no mental capacity at all honors God. That's going to put a weight around your neck. The dumb animal that can't talk, can't think, can't reason, honors God he says the jackals and the owl they honor me and they honor me because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people who are my chosen so if the animals can honor God what's holding you back if the irrational illogical uncontrolled beast can honor God why can't you why don't you why aren't you honoring God by giving God your life by surrendering your will to the will and the way of God by committing your service to God the same way he's done it for you. See, I told you it was going to step on a toe here and there. But watch what he says. The people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. You see, God is doing all of this because he loves you, but he expects you to praise him. He expects you to praise him by living a life that, is, that, that, that demonstrates to the world that God is real. I told you my buddy watched me for two years and he said the God thing you're talking about is real because I've seen it in your life. Well, if somebody inspected your life, would they see a God thing that they would then leave saying God must be real? So he says he needs that, that, be, that they will praise him. Yet you have not called upon me, O Jacob. See, some of y'all in this room have not really called on God. You've called on a lot of stuff and called for a lot of reasons, but you haven't really called on God. You know, maybe I was so broken, Brother Brown, that I couldn't call no place else. I'd already called the street corners. I'd already called every place else. They didn't work. 
So when I got to the Christian movement, I just found that there was only one other place to call, call God. But why aren't you calling on God today? You have not wearied yourselves for me, Israel. That means you've got to, you've got to pay the price. That means for you induction students, you've got to learn how to read the Bible. You may not like it, but that's what you need to learn to do. You need to learn to pray. You ain't been communicating with God. If you was praying, you wouldn't have been out there doing what you was doing that ended you up where you got it up at. So no matter how much you may have persuaded yourself that you were still in love with God, the reality was you weren't. Or you wouldn't be sitting under this tent. But now you've got to engage God through communication. You've got to pray. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings nor honored me with your sacrifices. Now, have you committed yourself to God? Because that's the only thing you've got. That's the only offering that you have that God wants is your life. He doesn't care about your money. And none of y'all paying for this anyway. So if you want this to work, you got to give God your life as your sacrifice. He says, and I've not burdened you with grain offerings. He said, I'm not putting a bunch of weight on you with demands for incense. I'm not making you have to come and do some ceremonial. I just want your life to me. And God is telling some of you this morning, if not all of you this morning, that he wants your life. And that you need to pour your life to him this morning. And so. God is telling us that it's a new thing that he wants to do between us this morning. Between you and I. And the new thing is to turn us around. The new thing is to shake us up. The new thing is to make us whole. The new thing is to give us power. The new thing is to give us a vision. The new thing is to give us a purpose. You're supposed to have a purpose. God gives you a purpose. You're supposed to have a vision. God gives you a vision. Can I say don't let none of the past rob you of a God vision? Don't let none of the things that happened to you before rob you of a God future. Let God be the source that provides you with your hope. Don't look to anything else other than God for your hope. Don't look to anything else for a vision other than God for your vision. Be inspired by God. And the way that that's going to happen for you today, and let me just say it, you got to become Pentecostal. You got to become Pentecostal. You've got to accept what God told them. He said, don't leave Jerusalem until you get the gift that my father has sent to you, which is the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, you cannot do nothing. He that's in you is the Holy Spirit. I can do all things through him that gives me strength is the Holy Spirit. You need to have the Holy Spirit actively alive in you. Because that's where your power is going to be. That's where your source is going to be. That's where your insight is going to come from. 
That's where your strength will come from. That's what will keep you is the power of the Holy Spirit. I've got to stop now because you hear the music behind me, don't you? In the black church, we used to flip the lights off and on. <laughs> we knew that was the signal. Time is running out. But let me just, let me, let me, in these last three minutes I've got, let me say this. To become Pentecostal means you've got to let the power of God come into your life. And you've got to walk in that power daily. And without that power, you cannot be successful. You will be unsuccessful without the power of God in your life. And it's that Pentecostal power that will enable you to do, to have all the fruits of the Spirit. And it will enable you to have gifts of the Spirit. It will enable you to be able to walk through fire and not be burned. It will empower you to be able to resist the past and look to the future. Hope comes with the presence of the Holy Spirit. You've got to have it if you're going to make it. Are you hearing me? There is no magical button or no special words that is going to make you receive the Holy Spirit. What is going to happen is you're going to demonstrate to God that you have a true open heart. And God is going to fill you with his spirit and enable you with power. The Bible says in, in Acts that it's power to be his witness. Anybody want to be God's witness? To be his witness, you must have God's power. So I'm asking you this morning, come down so we can pray with you. 